welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 14, which is titled Long Day's Journey. The episode aired on January 19th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well, we've got some good headlines this week, but I'm going to need your help for some, so please tap in when I when I ask. Absolutely. There's some sports stuff, and I have no idea what's going on. So, O.J. Simpson's murder trial begins. This is something that we are all just old enough to remember hearing about as children. I had no idea what was going on, because I was three, not even. I was two and a half when this was happening, but I vividly remember hearing about this for forever. There was a 6.9 magnitude earthquake, which destroyed much of Kobe, Japan, killing 6,434 individuals. Jesus. Uh, Lizzie, can you please tap in for this sports chat? Because I don't know what any of this means. I sure can. Back in this time in 1995, the NFL Los Angeles Rams announced they were moving to St. Louis, where they would stay until 2015. They have since moved back to Los Angeles. (laughs) And... No one cares about football in Los Angeles, so it's fine. All right. And also, in other quote-unquote sports news, uh, sports entertainment news, the TV channel UPN begins broadcasting, which would be the home of WWE SmackDown from its inception in 1999 up until the channel ceased operations in 2006. Uh, Also notably had two seasons of Buffy on it. Other than that, it was a bunch of random teen garbage nonsense. I don't know. A lot of, like, after-school syndicated sitcoms were on there, too, I remember. Mm-hmm. I Martin. Mostly just, yeah. Yep. I mostly just watched it for the wrestling. Of course you did. I did, too. Yeah. And uh, Judge Shows, that was the other thing that was on there a lot, yep. too. Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, all that shit. I, I spent a lot of time watching UPN after school. <laughs> oh, the 90s. Um, and also, to spare Lauren the horror, uh, <laughs> the continuing horror of Unbended Knee still being the number one song in this land of ours. Uh, and also, Higher Learning is number one at the box office, a movie which I have never heard of. And when I looked up the box office for this week and I looked actually at the movie, still have no idea what the fuck is going on with it. So, if you're a fan of that, awesome. It had one week at number one. Never heard of it. Um, this episode was directed by Anita Addison and written by Robert Nathan. Um, I think this is our first director that we really, you know, kind of need a death jingle for. Uh, unfortunately, Ms. Addison uh, passed away in 2004. Uh, didn't really, on her IMDb, nothing really of note. Just sort of like one episode here, one episode there of different TV stuff. Um, this would be her only episode of ER that she directed. And yeah. Daniel, how many how many people actually watch this? hunk of tv 34 million viewers tuned into this week's episode which believe it or not is still not the peak for season one we've still got a little bit higher we can me? climb yeah this is this is close but it's it's not the peak uh still that's going to be a few weeks off yeah 34 million viewers for this week can you give us a hint of how of how high it gets i want to say that this is third place maybe third or fourth highest uh episode total for this first season i don't know all about right. all time i don't know about all time but um for just specifically for season one i want to say this is like third or fourth um and it's very incremental from here we're very close to the the peak but we're so don't get too crazy but uh we're 
it's incremental increases from here and, it, and we're going to have a few dips as well it's not going to be like two episodes from now we're going to hit the peak and that's the peak forever it's yeah we're going to go up and we're going to go down but all right, so uh, we open this week with a trauma. Uh, patient is already in the trauma room. She's got a neck brace on. She's saying, help me, help me, please. It hurts, it hurts. Uh, Doug is working on her. We find out through uh, him working on her, trying to you know get information out of her. Her name's Kathleen. Um, she's played by an actress named Maggie Egan, who has a very unremarkable IMDb outside of this appearance. Get used to that because this is an episode with a lot of side characters and they all seem to have very unremarkable filmographies outside of this. There's a few standouts and we'll get to those as we go along. Um, but the vast majority of these people, this is the most interesting thing they ever did in their acting career. Benton comes in as well to consult because they think she might be a surgical candidate. They find out that she fell off of a ladder um, and has a possible brain bleed. Um, she's got a lot of bruising and um, abrasions and things like that. So Benton makes the remark, uh, she fell off a ladder and got this banged up. What did she do? Bounce? Uh, Jesus. So they're not, yeah, they're <laughs> not the most sensitive uh, of remarks there from Benton, especially since she's still conscious technically. But, you know, basically they're not 100% sold on the uh, fell off a ladder story. We see her kids are standing out in the hallway watching. Presumably they brought her to the ER or at least called the ambulance and rode with them. Carol grabs them and kind of escorts them away, um, especially once she realizes that the daughter has an injury on her hand that needs stitches um, or bandaging. And so we learn a little bit more about them. The kids' names are Mandy and David. Mandy is played by an actress named Natanya Ross, who uh, has kind of a, a who's who of 90s kid entertainment uh, in her background. She was on Secret World of Alex Mack, the Nickelodeon show. She was on uh, The Babysitter's Club, and she was on Boy Meets World. So kind of made the rounds hmm. of preteen sitcoms. Wasn't she one of the bully girls like in the early seasons for Boy Meets World? I believe so. I believe so. I, her character name didn't ring a bell with me, but you saying that, I think that must be what it is. Because she does have a very recognizable face. Um, but the names just for whatever reason, her character names didn't stand out to me. And then David is played by, uh, an actor named LA Sargent, which a tier, <laughs> just a class name there, bud. Unfortunately though, this is one of your only two acting credits and the other one was a TV movie that I had never heard of. So congratulations on your peak. A tier name, F tier career. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, Mandy claims that she hurt her hand when the when uh, her mother fell off the ladder, but something's not quite right. Something's not clicking here. Son looks kind of sketchy. Her story's not matching up. We're going to come back to them here very shortly, but basically where we leave it for now is everybody's a little suspicious of this story. Fun times. We'll be back to that in a little bit. Uh, but for now, uh, we get to Carter, who I feel on a spiritual level on this episode. <laughs> Like, he is greeted first thing when he comes in by just Halea saying, you look awful, Carter. And he just, <laughs> he is exhausted, as am I, lately. <laughs> I just want to say, Carter's an asshole this episode. We'll get into it, but Carter's an asshole. Yeah, it's not one of the shining moments, but, you know, this is how you learn and you grow. You have to have some bumps along the way. Eh. He's human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he said he was up all night prepping procedure presentations um, and, you know, goes in to do sort uh, sort of round up his scut work for the day like he normally does. You know, can I get Benton's patients, please? 
he's you know he's talking with Jerry and it's like Jerry's like no you know Deb did them what about his labs Deb sent them what about the patient's breakfast orders oh they're all going to the kitchen Deb that Deb, Deb did that Deb did that try to say that 15 times fast Deb did that <laughs> all right then <laughs> and, you know she catches and Deb catches up with Carter and she's like I just want to make a good impression and which you know good on her for wanting to put her best foot forward and you know she's uh talking with carter about different different stuff she's got going on uh with her classes and whatnot and you know she's like hey can you help me with this protocol for kids for fevers like she's like got all this done already and she got an hour before him and got all this stuff done and is still turning right along and you you can tell carter's just like i do not have the energy for this today And then we go back to Ladder Lady, Ladder Lady, Kathleen, and we learn that she has been here three times in the last six months, and I believe this is Doug that discovers this while looking at her chart? Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And she has a history of falling down the stairs, walking into a door, and fracturing her her orbital bone, which is, you know, around your eyeball. And so they're like, hmm, this rings true of abuse. Let's see what the kids know. Let's see what we can find out. Doug continues his trend of hideous ties. And um, Doug walks over. Carter is stitching up Mandy's hand. And Doug's like, hey, I could, let me take this over. And Carter's like, no, I got it. It's okay. And Doug's like, no, let me take this over. Thank you. Scoots Carter out of the way and starts to talk to the daughter and just says... You know, hey, you want to tell me who's been hitting your mom for the last six months? Has anybody been staying with you? Like, she's really, she's really in danger and she, she's getting really hurt and she can't keep doing this. Like, we need to know so we can get you guys all taken care of. And, you know, they're both quiet for a minute and Doug's like, okay, gets up to go to walk away. And David, the younger brother, outbursts, it was Mandy, the daughter. And... He's like, she hits her all the time. She hit her with my bat. And Mandy immediately does a complete 180. Jumps out of her chair. He's like, it's a lie. He's lying. I'm going to kill you. Like, you're a liar. And just freaking out. Like, clearly something's up with this girl and she needs help. She reminds me of, remember the mom in, I think it was like episode two or three. Uh, She had the little boy. Uh, yes. And she had like schizophrenia. And the way she flipped the switch, yeah. that's kind of what goes happens here with Mandy. Is like she Little just bit. like flips that switch and goes from like perfectly docile to just insane. And it's pretty. She does pretty well with it. Yep. So clearly, this girl has some anger issues that are not being addressed the way she needs, and she's taking it out on her mother at home. And from there, we go into bangs for the intro. Still bangs. Cool. I'm not gonna rub it in. I swear I had a dream or something that we we got twinkles for this one. Like, I was I was so red. Like, it seems so real. It look, it's coming. It's coming. You can rub it in when when we get there, Daniel. Oh, and I will. I know. We'll save you ten minutes to ru- to rub it in on the twinkles. I'm starting to think that that's almost a threat. <laughs> <laughs> what? So oh, gonna, it will. Yeah, just oh, it's coming. Oh, it's. You know, it's going to fuck you up when it does. Like, I'm going <laughs> to fuck you up when it does. Do I need an adult? <laughs> like, when this happens? There are no adults on this podcast. Uh, only illegally ones, unfortunately. <laughs> We're all children. Exactly. 
And then after the intro, we get our first audio clip that we pulled for the episode. Uh, we have Mark trying to call Rachel to talk to her, which, you know, is the first time we really hear about Rachel for the first in the in the last couple episodes, it seems like. I was going to say, remember Rachel? Remember she yeah. exists? Remember Mark's daughter? And then we also have some fun Susan audio in there, too. So let's give that a listen. Pregnant patient in two suicide attempts coming in. Okay, thank you. Rachel, Rachel Green. Oh, really? That, that's great. Um, could you tell her that her dad called and that he'll talk to her later? Thanks. Rachel's on a field trip to an aquarium. I wish I was on a field trip. Gunshot hunting accident. He's waiting for discharge. Huh? So discharge him. Oh, if we decided I'm not incompetent? Nobody said you were incompetent. But I am the only one who has to bring my charge to the chief. What time is your review board with Jason today? Three o'clock. Please don't come to offer support. God knows what you're saying. Harsh. Icy. Harsh, but kind of fair based on her experience yeah but also i feel i relate to mark on a spiritual level there i also wish i was on a field trip <laughs> don't we all i want to go to the aquarium i want to go to the shed aquarium soon sure okay it's a date great <laughs> and it just sorry it just seems so random to me it's like it's like why is he calling her in the middle of the day like it just seems like such a drop in the bucket moment is it just to have him at the admission station when susan walks by that's the best thing I can think of, really. Honestly. Or to remind us that he has a kid, like I was gonna say We yeah. haven't we haven't heard about Jen in a while either, like No mention of Jen in this one either, and this is the not, only time we hear about any anything of Mark's family. I think this is like the first time in like three episodes. Yeah, I was gonna say we haven't heard about Jen since the stay at home and fuck episode. He just fucked her into oblivion. <laughs> Gross. He fucked her out of the show. <laughs> That's not what we meant by fuck off. <laughs> And yet, that's where we are. Gross. So then we go on. Deb has the most lovely outfit. She's got her normal white jacket on, but then with that, underneath that, she's got a beige sweater vest and these weird, like, black floral pants (laughs) that are, like, super flowy. Carter had kind of a weird thing coming in, too, though. Carter had, like, a plaid sweater vest. vest thing. Like, yeah, it was... It was very weird, but I guess I wrote it off as just, like, outerwear because it's cold outside, but, yeah. It's... Yep. So, Deb's talking to Benton as they're walking down the hall, and she's just like, Oh my gosh, that daughter beat her mother? How could she do that? Is the mother going to be okay? That's insane! Like, just bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, everything is new and scary to Deb. And... Or is she talking to Doug at that point? No, I think she's talking Because to... she switches over to talk to Benton, I think, but... Maybe. Oh, no. So, either way, she then talks to Benton, and she's like, oh, are you getting ready for surgery with Mrs. So-and-so? And he goes, yeah, you know, I've already tried to explain it to her twice, but she's just not getting it. Deb's like, oh, can I try? I'm taking a class on relating to patients as people. It's called the whole patient. And in my brain, I went parentheses, the Patch Adams approach. Um... <laughs> And Benton's like, yeah, just don't let it interfere with your work. And walks away. And Deb says to Jerry, he didn't mean that, did he? And, like, we just cut off with that. But it's just a little thing where it's like, we don't see Benton going nearly as hard on Deb as he was on Carter. But it's kind of almost like Carter is a buffer for them. So I I just thought that was interesting. I think in a way it's that Deb kind of exhausts Benton a little bit. Because, like, like Carter is like a, a lost puppy dog who just wants to, like... He just wants Benton's approval, whereas 
Deb is legitimately like her whole thing is she just wants to be the best doctor she can possibly be. It's not about winning his approval. It's about her getting better as a doctor. And so like he doesn't have the power thing over her that he does over Carter because Carter desperately needs Benton's approval, whereas Deb, I don't think does. So I think he just looks at her and he's just like, it's like a yappy dog. He's like, please get away from me. Like, <laughs> just whatever whatever it takes. I'll, I'll Sure, you can do whatever you want. Just leave me alone. See, I read it as Deb needing almost everyone's approval. Like earlier in the episode, she says to Carter, when you came here, you know, you're so well-liked. Everyone loves you, and I just want to make a good impression. That's true. Yeah, I think she's very self-conscious and of everyone's opinion of her so yeah that i think that does track but maybe just not the specific mentor mentor like approval of like i need this specific guy to approve of me or else my entire life is a failure which is what i think carter's experiencing so from there we jump over uh we're gonna check back in with doug who he's kind of getting his main patient for the episode here uh treating a boy with a broken leg little kid named zach looks to be maybe about i don't know 10 to 12 somewhere in that range middle school aged he's played by uh, he's played by a child actor named trenton knight who Again is another the names i know another weird names with unimpressive resumes this is another one who's got like nothing interesting to speak of on his um imdb however with one one specific caveat to that uh he is he appears in a cheech marin movie called charlie's ghost story from 1995 so this same year that uh, this episode airs and the only thing that's interesting about that movie is the poster for it and i'm going to link a picture of the poster in our uh our little group chat here so that you can see because this is literally the only interesting thing about uh young trenton here what the fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> That, that sure is Cheech. That sure is Cheech, yep. Dressed like the uh, fish stick guy for some reason. <laughs> he's got, I, like, the, the rubber fisherman. slicker. Yeah, he's got, like, the rubber slicker on, and they're, like, fighting on a boat for some reason. I'm I'm never going to watch this. Oh, it I does might. say it. Do- now, however, we should point out, it does say in the description for this movie that it's directed by Anthony Edwards. I don't know if it's the Anthony Edwards, what? as in Mark Green. I'm looking uh, it up. I got it, I got it. If it is, I it think is we in definitely... fact the Anthony <gasps> Edwards. Okay, well, so we're definitely going to do a commentary of this at some point because I have to <laughs> yes. know what this movie is about. Yes, I this... have to know how they got connected to where this became a project. <laughs> this is yeah. What so, the shit? So the other half of this interaction we've got here, um, Zach is brought in uh, by his gym teacher, who I guess they were like doing wrestling or something, and he says that he's done that move on kids a thousand times and it's never hurt them before so i guess they were doing like wrestling moves or something the actor who plays the gym teacher is a guy named brian cousins another completely unremarkable imdb but what i did think was hilarious about him was that he has his own trivia section on his uh imdb page that says he's often confused for steven weber (laughs) what a (laughs) pathetic piece of trivia (laughs) that's the most pathetic Uh, sad piece of trivia i've ever heard also, for that movie that we were just talking about, Charlie's Ghost Story, it also also starring Anthony Edwards. Okay, well, well we know what we're doing we, for his movie now. I was gonna say, wow, I must know so much more about this. Okay. This is gonna. Be, I vote this is our first commentary. I'm oh gonna, no, no, no! I don't think I can make it. I don't, I don't think we can. Let's start with a good movie. 
when we do those. You don't know if this is good. We don't have. We have no idea if this I, is good. This could be a masterpiece. There is no way this could be good. It's got a four point six out of ten. There's got a, no way this could be good. It's got a four point six out of ten. Okay. That means I'll like it. Anthony Edwards <laughs> as Dave. That's going to be really weird when we start doing those commentaries, <laughs> trying to get used to these people being referred to as other names. Why did Stephen Kearney sound familiar? This is a rabbit hole. <laughs> I know. I like. I really did just mark. Is this. Is this what happens to you when you're researching? Hey, it's that guy's. Sometimes, but like, I really did just flag this just because it was a funny poster. I had no idea that I l- literally just when I put that thing in Discord, I saw it said directed by Anthony Edwards, and I was like, huh. Okay. I, yeah. All right. So, Moving. Getting back to the episode. <laughs> So we then go on. Mark walks in to deal with one of his patients, and it's a pregnant woman and her husband, and we find out they're Chinese. And her husband seems really high-strung and is like, is she okay? You know, she seems really stressed out. Can we induce labor? Like, something's wrong. Let's, can we please induce labor? She's only a couple weeks ahead of schedule. Like, for the baby's sake, can we please induce labor? And he just seems real focused on this. And the husband is Daryl Fong, and the wife for this episode was uncredited. Pretty rude, I thought. Yeah, like, a little just, bit. Just to not give her a credit. Like, I know she doesn't have any lines, but goddamn, give her something. She yeah. sure sits there looking pregnant. Yep. And then we go over, um, we find out that Taglieri is the only, is the orthopedic I don't know why I said it like that. Te- orthopedic. <laughs> he is the orthopedic um, doctor on duty for the day. And Doug is like, oh, is there anyone else available? I think so-and-so is on today. Can we get him down here? Because they need to look at Zach's broken leg and, you know, see what the what the steps are, what the prognosis is, how they need to set it. Doug's just like, he's after getting his lights punched out by Tag, he's just not feeling it. And then we get our, we get our, we have another new character intro this episode. Another one of my favorites. Probably top 10 instead of top five, like, like Jing Mei. But top 10, uh, Miss Jeannie Boulay has our, has her first mention. She's a physician's assistant in physical therapy. Well, she starts in the physical therapy stuff here, but she's all, she becomes a physician's assistant later on in the ER and has a pretty compelling storyline. I, th- I mean, I feel like. Oh, yeah. She's in my top five for sure. I think I was really excited. I knew she was coming, but I didn't know. Again, much like every other intro we've gotten in this first season, I did not know it was this soon. Yeah, exactly. Um, And she comes up in the context of Ben's talking with Halei and lamenting about his mother's situation and, you know, trying to get someone, you know, more permanent to stay with her because he's still dead set on not putting her in a home, uh, which we'll come back to the theme of later. Uh, we have a really good audio interaction later with him and uh, Jackie. But yeah, so Hale is just like, oh, hey, I know, you know, I know Jeannie. She's a physical therapist here and, you know, part time. And, you know, let's see if, you know, she's really good with folks, folks like that. So let's see if we can maybe I'll see if she's interested. She's here and you can go up and see her on the physical therapy floor or whatever, wherever. Seven. What, seven. OK, cool. So we will definitely come back to her later in the episode. And we actually like physically see her she's not just mentioned we actually actually get to meet her and my favorite line from this interaction is Halei's like you'll like her as much as you like anyone like just burn there's lots of burns going around in this episode yes and then we have a complete tonal shift to a suicide attempt her name is Fran she is 32 years old she was found with an empty bottle of pills and a note 
and then we don't know if this is her neighbor or her sister that's with her holding holding a baby a crying baby and says she kept saying that she wasn't that depressed she kept saying she was fine and just this woman is sitting in the corner of the trauma room watching all of this happen and i have a nit to pick here and you guys can call me out on this if i'm wrong but this woman fran starts seizing for maybe 10 seconds I don't hear them say they're giving her any drugs to help stop the seizure. And I also got really mad. I don't remember if it's Hale or one of the doctors, but they grab her head to hold it in place while she's having a grand mal seizure. And that is not something you do. And I believe doctors in 1995 would have known that's not something you do. Would that one be, the one that's in the episode, would that be considered a grand mall, even though it's only like 20, 30 seconds long? Yes, because the definitive thing of a grand mall is the body involvement. Mm -hmm. And from what it looks like, it looks like they're having, mostly we see her head twitch to the side. Yeah, I was going to say. But it looks like they've got... They're framing it as if she was having a full body convulsion. Okay, that was like they don't really you don't like have her body moving, so it was, yeah. it was only her head. I think back it's and because forth. they're they're fucking holding her down. Fair enough. Is what it looks like, but you don't do that, guys. If you have someone having a seizure from your favorite epileptic individual, you let them ride it out. You put something soft under their head. Don't put anything in their mouth. They're not gonna choke on their tongue. If they start spitting up, tilt them on their side. When it's over. Ask them some simple questions. Make sure they're conscious. Give some water, maybe some Tylenol, because you're going to be in pain. And then help them get home or safe or wherever they need to be to get taken care of. But don't fucking hold their head in place. Also, to re-putting something in their uh, in their mouth, that was something that was like common knowledge for a long time. But for god's sake don't do that because not only will they not be swallowing their tongue they will 100 percent be capable of just straight up biting your finger off so uh, oh yeah don't do that <laughs> and also ruining your wallet breaking a spoon breaking their teeth yeah just bad news bad news bones all the way around don't do that because it is unmitigated strength from your neurons firing at full capacity so don't. what I'm hearing is not they're not off to a good start with epilepsy representation nah. on this show. I'm I'm gonna have lots of fun conversations when we do the seizures on these episodes because right. oof, that one was short, sweet, and entirely to the point. But who boy, they fucked up. Huh. So with that, we switch gears. We go over to Taglieri. He's talking to Doug, and he's pissed that um, Doug didn't call him for the consult with Zach and his broken leg he's like i'm the attending on call for ortho you need to call me it's not personal it's professional but we need to work together on this he does kind of sun him a little bit though like he kind of like is that clear and doug just is like yeah yeah that's clear like he just kind of okay yes sir and then the woman that's with fran the patient who's going through the suicide attempt she's just all over the place she's not listening to them at all carol's asking her again and again what pills did she take what pills did she take is she on other medication what's going on and this woman's like i need to call her husband i need to call her family i need to check with so and so oh my gosh like did we leave the oven on like she didn't actually say that but that's the kind of frantic energy we get from her and the whole time she's just like not helping or answering any questions at all and Doug just straight up takes the baby away from the lady. Do we ever establish who she is? Like, is she like sister? No, or? I okay. don't think they ever say. Yeah, she's just a person. So yeah, Doug just straight up takes her away. And there's this long lingering shot of Clooney just like cradling this baby. 
And I'm pretty sure that the country's pregnancy rate tripled. In I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm so not a baby person, but, you know, my ovaries exploded a little bit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's all right. That's a good visual. Handsome, capable man with a baby. Sure, I'll take it. And then we, we shoot back over to Fran. And Mark's just working so hard to try and get her back. Like, she's been unresponsive. I guess she'd been down for 27 minutes. I'm not sure if that was, like down cardiac wise with her heart rate being flat or just unconscious in general but mark says you had to take do you think he says triclosides tricyclides tricyclides mm-hmm. which is a type of antidepressant he said you couldn't just have taken painkillers could you any insight from nurse nurse uh jen on this um no unfortunately she was at work when i watched this one so i didn't get to Dang. quiz her on these but uh, I will follow up on that one. Cool. But yep, it turns out her brain, <coughs> they check her pupils and everything. No responses. Her brainstem is shot. She's gone. Hmm. So from that bummer into another bummer. <laughs> so many uh, bummers. I know. This is lots of downers in this one. Um, so we go back over and check on the kid with the broken leg and his x-rays show an abnormality that is most likely, but not 100% confirmed yet cancer um we find out i think in this same interaction we find out that his dad died of cancer so they have reason to believe it's possible that he does as well it could explain why his his leg broke so easily we're introduced to what i thought were his parents but then when i went to go look at the imdb credits for both these actors uh the guy who i thought was playing the dad is credited as uncle ted so i think he must be the mother's brother which i guess makes sense because you know the dad they, they state that the dad died of cancer. So, you know, it makes sense. But just my instinct was to be like, oh, that must be the parents. But so Ted is played by a guy named John DeSanti, who is in uh, his most famous credits were Batteries Not Included and Absence of Malice, both of which movies I've heard of but never actually seen. Mrs. Meeker, the mother, she's played by a lady named Kathleen Garrett. And her most significant thing was that she had a three-year stint on Law & Order SVU. So she was on the show from 2008 to 2011, which is long after I stopped watching that show. So I couldn't tell you uh, who she played or whether she was a significant character. But I feel like if she was on there for three years, she must have been somebody. All right. And then we go from broken legs and cancer to back to our pregnancy case uh, with the Chinese folks. We find out that the woman is having stomach cramps because she took some herbs, some medicinal herbs to try to induce her pregnancy because they want their baby to be born in the year of the dog and not the year of the pig uh, according to the gentleman i don't i have no idea anything about chinese astrology or signs or anything like that so i'm just just reading out what they're saying in the episode i have no idea if it's true or not but the gentleman is like oh babies are born in the year of the pig could turn out to be lazy and he's like I don't really believe it, but I kind of believe it. But our parents believe it. Just to be safe. Yeah. So, like, that's why he's been pushing so... He's been pushing and been so frantic. Like, no, we need to we need to induce her pregnancy. No, we need to do that. And Mark, you know, rightfully says, you know, this is a hospital, not an auto body shop. We don't do procedures on people just because you want them. And then, of course, to go completely against what he just said... The OB, the person from Obstetrics, I probably just said that wrong. No, you were 
You're pretty much right. What, obstetrics? Obstetrics. 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 Just say OB. Just say OB. From the OB dude. Uh, Gynecology. Yeah, the gynecology dude. There we go. I know how to say it. should be OB, though. I know how to say it. Gynecology is just vaginal and female health in general. Obstetrics is the actual pregnancy. But I know how to say gynecology. (laughs) Fair. You do you. All right. Person who handles babies. Uh, <laughs> comes down and completely is just like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, you will. You you want to have your baby now? Let's have your baby now. Come on in. Let's get you admitted. Yeah, let's let's get you admitted. Come on. Mark's just like. The fuck? Fucking really, dude? Come on. Like, he doesn't obviously say any of this, but like, he just like looks like whatever. I'm out. Your problem now. <laughs> And the quickly on this doctor, just because I had to highlight this, the character's name is Dr. Noble, which I think is mentioned, but very, very briefly. Uh, character uh, is played by an actor named Barry Pearl, whose credits include include Grease, House, and Boomers. We have another. Oh shit! We have another Boomers alum. Cause he's in Boomers. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been tight with Lydia and uh, Al. Is it Al? Is that the cop's name? Yeah, I think sure. So. Must have been tight with Lydia and Al because they got him a job on Boomers 25 years later. So, but is it really a job or is it more of a chore? <sighs> I'm not going to go watch to find out. There's no way that that series has made money. I'm going to watch it one day, guys. I'm going <laughs> to watch not. it. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to live tweet it. I'm good. You and me will do it, Lauren. We'll we'll. If only knock I had access to our Twitter, so I could I can do this. make. I can. I've been meaning to give give you access anyway because you're better at tweeting than i am this but is true i'm the oldest 31 year old person ever and i don't really know how to do the twitter i'm just doing my best so aren't we all exactly so after that we actually get the physical presence of genie of miss boulet on screen miss boulet <laughs> i like saying her name i know it's, i love her so it's much. a very beautiful name genie boulet so she's up doing her physical therapy thing with uh with a patient doing like some sort of like water resistance or something like that but ben just i don't know i just kind of find it awkward that just ben's just sort of having this conversation you know just while he's in the room because i've been in physical therapy before and you know i kind of like that one that my physical therapist was one-on-one yeah was had their attention trained on me and wasn't discussing outside jobs oh yeah like (laughs) when i had my physical therapy for my low back i'd have to get like really amazing massages but they'd have to like massage my glutes and everything and if my physical therapist who was wonderful by the way if he had been talking to another physical therapist while he was giving me essentially a butt massage (laughs) i would have been so uncomfortable like when he when it was just he and i we were just shooting the shit everything was fine but like if he was just carrying on with somebody else while he was like touching my butt yeah, it would have made it more weird. And this dude that she's working with is half naked because he's yeah. like in. I'm assuming he has swim trunks on. He's got to have like see. swim trunks or boxers or something on. Yeah, but like he's just like in this uh, like one of those tubs that you see like sports players use. Yeah. The like, therapy tubs. Yeah, for hydrotherapy. And I want one. They do seem very nice. Yeah, so Ben comes in and you know is obviously they come in like in mid conversation. We enter mid conversation and Ben's, you know, just being like. Yeah, so and so things, and she goes, you know, I'm not. A, she, you know, she's talking about all this, and Gina is just like, you know, I'm not a housekeeper, Ben. I'm a physical therapist, and just like, 
can you afford me on a resident's salary? And he's like, I'll just, I'll get the money. And of course, there's no discussion of how much she'll be paid. I feel like it's more like those old like fantasy tropes. Just here's an amount of money. Here's a gold. Here's a bag of gold coins. I'm sure that's enough. Like, wondering if that's how she's been paid. <laughs> like, here's a wad of cash. I'm assuming it's enough. <laughs> but she does agree to do it, uh, I think, like, four days a week? Three, I think. Three or four days a week? Because she's like, yeah. I work here on Saturdays. I've got classes two days a week. Yeah. And obviously she's going to need, like, one or two days for herself. Yeah. So we will see more of her as the episodes drag on, I'm sure. But Drag on? Don't you mean... <laughs> continue this is going to be she's with us for a long time like she's gonna oh yeah she's gonna be here until like i think i think she stops being a regular somewhere around season nine or ten and then i think she are you sure it was that late i thought it was earlier than that because after she gets married to the cop then she gets married to the cop they adopt the kid she sticks around for a little while after that but not much longer and then she does come back at one point but it's just for a one-off yeah so yeah, it's in the season fifteen roundabout where everyone has their own one-off. Yeah, the greatest sort hits of episode. Album. Exactly. Also, I'm really excited to get to review where her story goes. I love no, I f- I fucking love it, and it's gonna be good. It's like yeah. it's like kind of neck and neck, I think, between her and um, Weaver, who has the more like kind of ultimately like the most satisfying kind of like full breadth story and like because everybody else i feel like kind of gets the legs cut out from under them before their story gets super i mean i guess carter but carter also kind of halfway leaves carter doesn't really like fully leave he just kind of it's very he pieces out to africa for a while right yeah so like everybody else kind of like green you know has his deal benton just kind of abruptly leaves like nobody else really i feel like gets to tell their entire story from beginning to end better than uh, Jeannie and um, yeah. Weaver. I mean, what about Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth, too. I feel like they kind of lost track of Elizabeth after Mark dies, though. I feel like they kind of forgot what to do with her after that. I have seen some very interesting discussion about that on um, some of the ER groups we're privy to recently. So when we get to Elizabeth's post-Mark life, I'll be really intrigued to actually revisit. I've seen a lot of flippant woman-hating on those (laughs) groups, too. Every other female character in this show is a fucking bitch, according to them. They hate every woman on this show. They hate Cleo. They hate Lizzie. They hate, um, who else? They hate Jen. I love you, Lizzie. They, they called Lizzie a harpy after I know after Mark's death. That well, there was that one person when they were talking about uh, Jen the other uh, day when I was reading it, and they were like, "Oh, Mark just loved her so much, and she was an unfaithful bitch." And I was like, "Are you watching the <gasps> same show that I'm watching? Because like he sucks just as much as she does." <laughs> like, also, if any of you are actually listening to this, please come have these discussions on our page so we can actually like get into it and like flesh them out. Facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast or at set the tone ER on Twitter. Because I, I know we've got some of you, so come on over. Let's have a chat. I don't know. All right, but we should probably get back to the actual episode now. Okay. So we get another interesting ERism here. We get some, I think it's Hale says to maybe Mark. I know someone says it to Mark. Yeah. It says crispy critters coming in, which means that, um, According to my notes, it says Guy tried to rescue animals from a no, fire. No, he, he rescued a woman. 
Yeah, that's why I'm saying, what the fuck? No, it's, I must have been drunk when I was writing this. Um, so Crispy Critters coming in, it's because it's somebody who went into a burning building to try and commit a rescue. Try and commit a rescue? Yeah, try and rescue someone. <laughs> fuck it, I'm done. To try to rescue someone. But anyway, so, Crispy Critters coming in. A guy tried to rescue someone from a fire. He succeeds, but that's where that colloquialism comes from. And they're taking care of him. They order Grandma Van Seff antibiotic. His name is Mr. Kane. He has smoke poisoning and fluid in his lungs and a bad pulse ox. He's fucked up. Yes. He's also played by a guy named Byron Thames. Thames? Is it like the river in London? I don't know. It's however we want to say it. It's our show. Sure. Byron Thames. He... Thames. (laughs) Right. Very, again, unremarkable IMDb. I did think it was sort of interesting that he got a lot of voice credits um, as extra voices. So I guess like when there's crowd noise and stuff like that, maybe. Um, but he, two specific credits that stood out were X-Men Days of Future Past and uh, Dawn of the Planet Ooh. of the Apes. So, oh, cool. Yeah. The newer ones? Yeah, the newer, the newer ones. I do love the Planet of the Apes series, the newer ones. But then he, so he's, he's a little awake now. They've been taking care of him and he just says, is the little girl okay? And we zoom over to the little girl, and they're taking care of her. She's, you know, wheezing a little bit, and they lift her, they lift, like, her blanket up off her leg, and it just shows a huge bone fragment sticking out of her leg. (gasps) Yep, Lizzie and I both audibly Mm. made that noise when we got to that scene. All right, so then we're going to jump right over real quick and check in with uh, poor baby stressed Susan, who is just freaking out about her review and uh, goes to Jerry because she really needs a cigarette and she wants to know where Lydia keeps her stash. I love that it's now canon that uh, Lydia is the like rat bag nurse that has the like stash of cigarettes. <laughs> I just love that that's the thing. Jerry tells her, he says, I didn't know you smoked. And she replies, I don't. Which I discovered and remembered uh, while I was doing the research for this is actually a contradiction. Because if we go back a few episodes to Another Perfect Day, when uh, I believe that was episode seven, when uh, Carter finds Susan up on the roof and wants to split the champagne with her, she is putting out a cigarette as he comes up to the roof and meets her up there. So you're full of shit, Susan. Yeah, I would say she just could be like, oh, no, I don't I don't smoke. I I'm just... a stress smoker. Yeah, sh- yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. I only smoke but... while I'm drinking or something like that. You know what I mean? Like one of those people. Like, no, you smoke. Anywho, um, we... See, Deb and Carter are asked to go outside to check on a patient because, and they're like, oh, well, why can't he be brought in? And Jerry goes, I don't think that can happen. So let's find out why. They go and they check on this man in a van and they're like, how long has he been sleeping? And they ask this to a mother and father with their two children who are standing outside. He's been asleep since breakfast. You know, they were driving cross country and I think it's Deb says i don't know how to tell you this but your uncle ed is dead no it's carter it's carter because carter's in the car they both are well he's he's like in the front of the car so like he's facing the family yeah i thought Deb was in the front seat no it's deb i think is on the outside of the van looking at them this is all very Mm. very pedantic it doesn't matter but like it i'm pretty sure deb is on the outside of the van and carter's actually leaning in taking his pulse and is like no motherfucker's dead yeah so we find that out. Shout out to um, National Lampoon's Vacation there. I know. Uh, Anna or Grandma Edna or Aunt Edna or whatever the fuck her name is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. 
It's like, oh, God. Or Little Miss Sunshine. Mm. Highly recommend that movie, too. It's a good one. I saw part of it, and I couldn't finish it. It was just so boring. Well, you're wrong. It's wonderful. And we go back over to the burned girl. We find out her name is Nancy. And we check on Mr. Kane, and his lungs are badly damaged. He inhaled a lot of toxic fumes, and we find out he had he has cystic fibrosis. And they're like, well, is there anybody we can call for you? And he's just like, can you call my dad? Like, he knows it's not good. And I just realized during this whole time, we've been, like, cruising around, seeing everybody in the ER. We haven't seen Mookie in forever. Like, we still haven't. He hasn't shown up this episode. He doesn't show up this episode. But I just realized, like, it feels like it's been forever since we've seen Mookie. It's only been since uh, episode 10. It yeah. feels like forever. Yeah, it's only been since Blizzard. Blizzard was the last time we saw him. And bad news, that was the last time that we will see Mookie. Mookie got bobbed. In really? In the same episode that Patrick gets bobbed, we also lose Mookie. Uh, yeah. Today I learned. Yeah. What the shit? Yeah, I... I did the exact same thing. When Hale is walking down the hallway, she mentions something to a Billy, who is a character we've never met before. We will never meet. He's literally... And, and I was just like, oh, shit, I bet Mookie got bobbed. And I went and looked, and sure enough, he did. Blizzard was it for, for Mookie. Well, shit. He was sassy, and I liked him. Yeah, it, this is one of those things that, like, this is a 15-season show. Like, this is going to happen more and more. There's going to be a lot of these as we go through, like... You don't really notice it because, again, like I said, it's kind of like a living – the hospital is like a living, breathing thing unto itself. So it doesn't seem weird when you don't see people for a while. And then it can be two or three episodes later before you realize that you haven't seen them in a while. And then you go and look and they're just gone. So it's kind of sad, but it's going to keep happening, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Halei, we have uh, our next audio clip. We have her and Carol having a discussion, just a little personal discussion about Carol's uh, suicide attempt from episode one. Six gross of gloves and no four back horse. Oh, thanks. It must be hard for you. The overdose this morning. The girl with the kid? I didn't have a kid. Halei? I really try not to think about it too much. Can I ask? Did you leave a note? No. I couldn't figure out what to say. So yeah, I just really like that. Just a little bit, a little bit of a clip, just because like it's a very real emotion it's a very real place to be when you're feeling like that sometimes just not having quite having the words to express how you feel and you know even when you're just plain old depressed sometimes you just don't have the words to express how you feel and why you want to do what you want to do so yeah that just resonated with me a lot and carol does a really good job with it too or should i say um julianne margulies yes Good, good job. I, I always mispronounce her name. But sh the actress does a very good job with how she presents it. Like, A, it reminds us, oh, yeah, this did happen to Carol. They're not just forgetting about it. And B, she's just real about it. She's like, yeah, I don't have an answer. I didn't have kids to worry about. Like, and I think that's, like, the best thing that you can be with people about stuff. Like, It's honest. Exactly. Just be honest. If someone asked me about stuff like that, I'm honest with them because that's how you normalize this shit is 
by showing people like, hey, these are real emotions. Hey, these are there's these are real complex events. And Let's I'm probably getting way too much into the weeds over this 30 second audio clip, but it's so good. Helps so, clear the stigma. Exactly, and it's an important topic for me. And I can't imagine if you were somebody 20 years ago, 24 years ago at this point, who was struggling with something like this, to see that and have a character just talk about it instead of it having it be the end of the world. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, there can be life after that. Yeah. I don't have to be a pariah. But then we also, in this, uh, we also in this episode, got an example of the desolation that can be left behind, you know? Yes. Ruining of a child's life. Yeah. We assume. We don't really go back to the no. kid at all. No. But we don't see him at all after that. I can't, I can't even imagine how much that would fuck, someone, fuck a kid up, though. Probably a lot. Anyway. So, we go upstairs to Susan's meeting. She's chilling in the, in the lounge of the review board room, smoking a quick cigarette. She lights up. She's sitting there smoking. And maybe five seconds later, Kaysen walks in, all nice, dressed, fancy, and he tries to light up, but his lighter's busted. And he's shuffling around his coat and his pockets, looking for a lighter, trying to light his smoke. Can't find one. And Susan's just sitting there, smugly smoking her cigarette. Doesn't offer him a light. Doesn't do anything. Just enjoys this moment of power where she can be like, I get to have something you don't. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> that's just how, that's how I interpreted her voice, like her internal monologue. Oh, 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 oh. Suck not, it, bitch. Pretty much. <laughs> Because Kaysen has made her life hell, and this is a little petty revenge she can get on him. And here is why I say Carter was an asshole this episode. Deb is trying to take a patient's history, and every time she tries to start a sentence or finish a thought or anything, Carter keeps cutting her off, giving her suggestions, not letting her actually finish attempting to take the history. He's just being impatient and smug and awful, and it really wasn't a good look on him. And it's like, this is more like the one point in the episode where it's like, is this a, just a, I'm no more than you thing? Is this a sexist thing? It's, you know, whenever there's a, that power dynamic between a man and a woman, you always have to kind of think with that filter. Yeah, it's an insecurity thing. I mean, he's uh, he's obviously threatened by her because she's been, she's been doing everything that he has grown accustomed to doing. You know, so he sees her as a threat. And I think, I mean, we're not shown it yet, but I do feel like there's an unseen element of she sees the way Bent, or he sees the way that uh, Benton treats Deb. And, it, you know, he sort of gets the, like, he doesn't get the, like, abuse. <laughs> Deb doesn't get the abuse from Benton that he does. So I'm sure there's a jealousy element there, too, of, like, how come he likes you and not me, like, kind of thing. Like, it's just... It's not great. It's not a good look for Carter. I'm also just have a random thought. Do we ever see like another student have a student? Yeah. In this in this series? Kind of. Uh, that's a good question. Cuz I'm just thinking it's like it's like in the Clone Wars when they give <laughs> Ahsoka over to Anakin, you know, when Anakin's still like not a full Jedi yet. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, that's kind of like how this situation is in a way, but, like, obviously much less badass. But it just got me thinking, like, is there any other examples that we can think of? None. I'm sure if we researched it, we might be able to come up with something, but, like... Yeah, none that really, like, jumped to mind. I mean, they kind of... I don't I don't know if it's a direct one-to-one replacement, but, I mean, eventually they do sort of replace Deb with uh, Omar Epps, who's in kind of the same role. 
That's true. But I don't know that, like, other than Carter, I don't know that any other student ever has a student of their own throughout the rest of the show. I mean, they do, don't they do that thing towards the end where there's just kind of a group of students where yes. they're all just they sort like of have equals? Like, yeah, they sort of follow, like, the different, like, cliques of, right. like, you have one, all the students, and then you have an episode focused on the interns, and then you have an episode focused on the residents, and then... Yeah, but they don't really, like, stack them on top of each other in a hierarchy. It's just sort of exactly. a lumpy group. Yeah, I don't know. And they all... But they... You know, so you do get some, like, one-to-ones, like, later on with, like, with that stuff, but that's ten seasons away from now. And then after that, we come, we come to my personal favorite clip from this episode that i pulled because we get the review board with dr Kaysen and susan lewis and lewis just slay him i questioned dr lewis about every conceivable symptom is that the case dr lewis i don't think so no dr Kaysen was in a hurry uh, dr Kaysen, the patient mr Vennerbeck, died under our care now you say you asked about every symptom including back pain dr lewis should have mentioned it you didn't tell him about the back pain, Dr. Lewis? It was on the chart. Well, you should have called it to my attention. Please, let's try to stay civil. Are you uh, sure you gave her your full attention? No, I don't think that's the problem here. But you did sign the chart. David, I already told you I didn't have all the relevant information. Aren't you supposed to obtain the information? Oh, come on. We know what this is about. We all depend on the residents to do their job. Dr. Kaysen, attendings are here to help residents do their job. Dr. Lewis, the uh, back pain was ascribed to a previous injury. How would you assess that information now? I think I'd consider it more carefully, a possible sign of unstable angina. Well, we all make those judgments, and we learn from them. Ladies, gentlemen, Dr. Lewis, Dr. Kaysen. Morgan Stern is so proud of her in this shot. Like, he is just beaming. She's shown a lot of growth just from one episode to the next. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much real time has supposedly passed between the last episode and this one, but, like, she's basically done everything that he asked her to do in the last episode. Well, everybody's still in winter coats and stuff when they're coming in, so I'm guessing it couldn't be more than two months. Yeah, fair. But, yeah... She's just a cold, hard bitch getting facts out and not taking any of Kaysen's shit. And Morgan Stern is so proud. I would have thought this would have been longer. This scene would have been longer based on how much they've sort of been, like, playing Susan's anxiety up about it. Well, I don't know, because if I were in her position, no matter how short the meeting was going to be, I would have still been petrified. That's true. But to like, be a woman in her position. It also, like, it seems like it comes it comes in kind of in the middle of it. But, like, also it seems like they got everything out in, like, a minute and a half. I don't know. I'm not... It just seems like it would have been a little bit longer scene. But we played you the entirety of it. All one minute and 22 seconds of it. I'm just happy with how disappointed Kaysen looks. <laughs> oh, he gets some more comeuppance later in the episode, too. Yep. But here, it was just good enough to see him, like, be like, wait, what? It's my fault? Accountability? That's Shit. A th- that's a thing? But she's a she's a girl. She's screwed up. So it's clearly her <laughs> fault. I just had a horrific image of Kaysen in that voice, and I don't ever want to... <laughs> but yeah, he's clearly used to punching down, and they didn't let him get away with it here. Yep. 
so we check back over on Doug, who is um, popping in to check on Zach, our broken leg, possible cancer kid. And we found out that his guardians, whether parents or not, have not told him about the potential cancer risk. So Doug's like, what the hell? He needs to know. We're not going to do this biopsy if he doesn't know. Like, I'm not going to do that to him. And go Doug for learning from past mistakes with, like, Ozzy and wanting to be honest with this kid. Because before he would have been like, oh yeah, it's sunshine and rainbows. We're just going to go give you a little shot. And didn't Tag want to tell Zach about this? Like, when they were in that room consulting the x-ray, didn't Tag say, oh yeah, I'll tell him. Yeah, they're sort of like almost like jockeying for who wants to... Break this kid's heart? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Maybe jockeying is the wrong word, but they they both want to take the responsibility of it. Right. But so for whatever reason, Tag won or Doug won that coin toss. Um, and Doug gives this kid a very optimistic prognosis. Because he's like, wait, cancer? My dad had that. Am I going to die? Am I going to be sick forever? And Doug's like, no, you'll you'll get this done. They'll check and see if it is cancer. And then you'll take some medicine that's going to make you feel real sick. And then you'll be all better. But in a perfect world, that's how it works. But yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I feel like he is trying to strike a balance there of like yes, yes, right. we want to inform the child, but we do not want to terrify the child, the child, and devastate him in the same breath. Like especially since he's got a personal connection to cancer, he's had experience with it. Plus, it was a different type of cancer too. I think they said liver cancer was what killed his father, yeah. which is particularly aggressive. Granted, this is bone cancer, so that could also be aggressive too. But like. I don't know. I just feel like he's trying he's trying to make the best out of a bad situation and and balance out yeah. the sunshine and rainbows with the real the reality of the situation Process, like yeah. here like yes this could be bad but it could also be okay and you know like I don't know. He's he's doing the best he can with not Here's much. Here's the steps. And so he Doug does offer to go with Zach to the biopsy. So, best friends. And then Benton comes to check on the woman whose history um deb and carter were unsuccessfully taking earlier and deb points out that uh or carter i'm sorry points out that it they think it's diverticulitis which is inflammation of the colon correct it has nasty shit do not fuck with that right but it's <laughs> quite literally its, base, it's inflammation yeah ha gross um and carter presents this and benton's like well, how'd you come to this conclusion? And Carter was like, oh, it was actually Deb's um, idea. And Benton is like, hold up. The next time Deb has an idea, let her present it. And Carter just gets so, like, his face just tightens. And you can tell he cannot stand being shown up. It's kind of a half measure on his part. Like, he starts out by taking the credit for the whole thing. But then it's like, you know, he can't actually go through with snaking the credit from her so he feels like he has to like this was the worst possible choice i feel like out of all the uh, his options like either be a dick and take all the credit or let her present it because now you've just embarrassed yourself on top of everything else like i don't know you played yourself right yeah like come on carter and also too in this interaction deb mentions to benton that she has a photographic memory is that a personality trait that carries through? Because I don't feel like it is. No. I f- and I don't know if we'd call that a personality trait. Oh, I, right. You're right. But I, I, did, I didn't yeah. know what else to call it. Like, But is that a is that a character trait, I guess, that, that nope. they ever definitely, pick up on? Definitely not when she comes back. They do not mention that. I mean, obviously, she makes a huge mistake 
I, which I have no idea when that happens, but yeah, because um, time time has no meaning with these with these events anymore. Like I have no idea when what's going to happen when anymore. I just know what happens. I'm at this point. Yeah, at this point, I'm convinced John Stamos is going to walk through the door three episodes from now, and we're just going to have to accept that that's okay. <laughs> Where's Melinda Cardellini? Come on. She's in there for 15 minutes in the next episode, and that's how long she was on the show. It just felt like six years. I mean, okay. I believe it <laughs> at this point. No, but that definitely is not a thing, When especially... That's what I thought. It might be a thing for the next few episodes while she's here, but it's definitely not a thing when she makes her grand return it's like how timmy is uh supposedly a germaphobe like there's another one that doesn't carry through either that was benton's that's how benton introduced carter to timmy was like don't touch him he's a germaphobe never talk i think that was meant as a joke well yeah but like but... you know just that's that's what happens when you have these long-running characters though you drop these little breadcrumbs and you don't always pick them up and then after that we go uh we have tag and doug walking zach through his uh, biopsy and honestly i just love this whole thing it's just really sweet and really heartwarming to see doug actually being amazing with a patient as well as tag we know tag is really uh good with and warm with his patients but it's really just nice to see doug just like taking the full reins here and just explaining every little step that tag is doing because tag's doing the biopsy and frankly what he's doing looks horrifying even if it only lasts for like 10 seconds but still (laughs) Sticking giant needle gun into your bone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what else necessarily say about it, but just Doug is just very, he's very calm. He's very thorough. He's just very, I think this is like the best we've seen Doug with a patient. And then we have the previously mentioned uh, Jackie and Benton discussing Jeannie and the mom and got that audio for you. Uh, Notably, a little bit of consistency here with the geography of this. They are talking on that same bridge we've seen like three or four times now at this point uh, at Michigan and Wacker, right going across the Chicago River. So Same bridge. Yeah. So let's give that a listen. Look, this woman does this for a living. Are you crazy? I've spent weeks looking at nursing homes. Yeah, well, she's my mother too, and you don't make these decisions without me. Why do you keep fighting this thing? I mean, this could be the solution that we've been looking for. You're looking for it. I know the solution. Okay. So, she goes to a nursing home and you get the house that we grew up in, right? Oh, please, honey, don't give me that sentimental crap. You wouldn't get this house burned. Hey, don't answer that. I came all the way across town to see you. Jackie, I don't want to see my end up in some warehouse for old folks. Look, look, Jackie, this woman will come three times a week. I'll look after her two times a week. No, you won't, Peter. You never have before. And tell me something. Just how do you plan on paying this physical therapist person. Look, if, if it's three days, I can swing three it. Three days? God, Peter. When are you going to accept that mommy needs full-time care? Okay. So, how are you supposed to pay for a nursing home, huh? Her savings. That's perfect. You get the house, you get to spend every penny that she and Papa can save, right? Except what she gave you for med school. Oh, Jackie, don't even go there. Because I'm up to my ass in debt, all right? And in a couple of years, you'll make more money than Walt and I will ever see I'll tell you what, Peter. Take the damn house, okay? Take it. You can even have your old room back. We'll clear out of there tomorrow. Then you can bathe her and feed her and keep her from taking her clothes off in front of the damn neighbors. Look, Jackie, we'll work it out. Peter! Peter! Hold on. 
Yeah, this is bad. He did what? Okay, 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 okay. Look, tell him I'm sorry and I'm on my way. I'll be right there, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm leaving right now. Look, Jackie, we can... Team Jackie. Yeah. Yep. No, she I am fully with with Jackie one hundred percent on this on all of this. And notably when after Benton takes the phone call, she's just gone. Strutting away. Just being like, No, fuck you, I'm done. And just peacing out. Cause she's really good about pointing out the fucking reality of the situation. Be like, yeah. Oh, you so you you wanna move back in, take the house and you'll take care of her? Because that's worked out because you've come by it so often before. And yeah, and the harsh reality with that is that people in late stage dementia slash alzheimer's slash whatever specific thing she has going on stroke injury yeah they need 24-hour care and it is draining so i can't even imagine like i was just sort of like an ancillary helper with my grandma like only for a couple hours a day was she entirely my responsibility but even that to a 16 year old me was Horrible. exhausting. So I can't even imagine what it's like for Jackie and Wald having to run a business to doing whatever job Jackie's doing to, cause I don't think what's ever specifically mentioned. I don't think it is. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. And I'm fully on her side that if she says she's had enough, she's had enough. Ben let fucking go. Too. So then we switch back over to the admissions desk. Carol's working on some stuff. Tag comes down and gives her some smoochies, and they're talking about, like, some trip they're taking later tonight, and just how excited they are. And it's very important to note that Tag puts a bag underneath the admissions desk to grab later when he and Carol leave. That will be important. But they're very cute here. It's cute to watch them flirt, and I'm so here for it, and I love them. We need, like, an audio, like, sound effect button for our podcast with the, ooh. Like the noise from the crowd on 90s sitcoms. <laughs> that is pretty much them right now. Is ooh. But so their flirtation doesn't last too long because a guy is, comes in super beat up. Um, and his friend that's with him, she keeps saying, oh, the cops wouldn't come. The cops wouldn't come. I know why the cops wouldn't come. He says he's 18 years old. He's got a fever of 102 degrees. He seems real skittish of anybody touching him. Like, does he have any family? You know, who can we call? He's got family in Georgia, but he was thrown out. He and his friend that came in are actually homeless. They don't live anywhere. And they're like, okay, well, how old? Doug's like, okay, well, how old is he actually? Because, like, you got to tell me. And she goes, oh, well, he's 15, but he has to say he's 18 or the cops will pick him up. Yeah, these two are pretty heartbreaking. The kid, the well, I guess they're both kids, really. But the one that got beat up, the male his character's name is terry uh played by a guy named alexis cruz whose only credit that made any sort of impression on me was uh that he was in stargate angie who is his friend who had a very like interesting affectation on her voice like i don't know what that accent was she was trying to go for maybe that's just her actual voice i don't know but uh she's played by elena Ubach, um, and her most famous credits were she did one of the voices in Disney's Coco that came out a year or so ago. So good. It's so good. One of my favorite movies uh, of the last couple years. Um, and then she was also in uh, Legally Blonde. I have to ask, Daniel, did Coco make you cry? <laughs> did a Pixar movie make you cry? Does Pope shit in the woods? Like, that's... Come on. 
Because Lizzie still hasn't seen it, and I'm still trying to get Lizzie to watch it. Oh, yeah. Same with Frozen. Yeah. I'm way behind on the Pixar front. Yeah, no. I haven't seen it's... that. I haven't seen The great, the Good Dinosaur. Eh, good Dinosaur. Yeah, I haven't cool. seen Good Dinosaur. Um, I s- but you need to watch Frozen and Coco with me. I saw it. In or Toy Story 4. Uh, yeah, Toy Story 4 I'm, I haven't seen yet. And I feel like there was another one between Inside Out and Coco. That I'm th- missing. Cars three probably or something. Fuck that. I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Exactly. I didn't even care about Cars one. So. What about Moana? Yeah. See, Moana. I didn't see. Moana's good. Yeah, Moana's badass. Yeah, I feel like there's more that I'm missing, but yeah, but but no, Sorry. Coco, very good. <laughs> Get us off topic there, but um. And then there's a quick little moment here with Doug that I just really appreciated and I had to get down was, I don't remember who he's talking to, but he says, pediatrics are fine when the kids are healthy. I think this is when he's talking to Susan. Yeah, I think so. And they're just having a quick chat in the hallway. Which is another one. It's another dynamic you don't see very often, Doug and Susan. I want more of it. Especially because Doug's always like, hey, Mark, you got (laughs) Susan right there. Ah, so you think they would talk a little bit more. But Doug and Susan are just walking down the hallway, just chatting about the how the Inquisition board went or whatever. It's the review board. The Spanish Inquisition went. It was not expected. <laughs> I'm just going to throw my <laughs> headphones and you can do the rest of this podcast with Daniel. All right, cool. Okay, bye. Yeah, and this dude is just sort of, this dude is just like, hey, how much longer do I have to wait? And it's like, oh, go check in with the... Go check with the desk and points him down that way. It's like, well, I've already been here for 40 minutes. He's like, well, and Susan's like, well, we're very busy. We're very busy today. We'll get to you as soon as we can. And he says, oh, okay. Turns around. He's got like a giant, like <laughs> at least like three foot long arrow in the back uh, of his, sticking out of the back of his skull. My stomach flipped. Uh, and there's like, uh. Like, wait, wait, come back, come back. It's very yeah. like a Roadrunner cartoon, like type of imagery like it's because it's not gory at all but it just looks oh no no it just looks like something out of a bugs bunny cartoon and it makes me laugh but the angle that it's at it's going at an upward angle so it's like it's going into the back of his occipital lobe <laughs> at like a 30 degree angle yeah no i it, it would it would you know way more about the human brain <laughs> i was gonna say you're using a, throwing a lot of big words at me here and i don't like it angle Yes, that was the issue. That was the word I took issue with in that sentence. <sighs> Listen, uh, Arrow Boy is played by Bob Bancroft, who has probably the most exciting IMDb of everybody in this episode, uh, you know, Cheech Marin notwithstanding. He was in uh, Chicago Hope, which is kind of our, like, parallel show that we've always, like, kind of threatened to do an episode of. Um but he was also in Parks and Rec. And when I went to go look and see who he was in Parks and Rec, because the name didn't really mean anything to me, um, his character name, his character's name in Parks and Rec is Frank Mann. And I was like, who the fuck is that? Like, that doesn't make any sort of impression on me. But then I went and looked him up. He, And then it totally made sense. He is the grumpy accountant from the accounting firm. And, you know, there's the one accountant who, like, thinks Ben, he thinks Ben is, like, Jesus and, like, thinks Ben is, everything's funny. Then he brings out this other accountant who's grumpy and doesn't trust Ben and doesn't laugh at any of his jokes. That's this guy. Well, there we go. Most interesting connection in the entire episode. Probably. Except for the one dude being in a movie that. Like I said, we'll circle back around to Cheech. It was directed by Anthony Edwards. And then we hear from Mr. Kane again, our fire rescue gentleman with cystic fibrosis. We find out that he is going to die. 
His lungs are continuously filling up with fluid, and yes, they can suction it out, but it's just going to keep coming back. Eventually, they'll have to put him on a respirator, um, and he's like, even if we could get him a lung transplant, he won't last long enough. Uh, Mark tells his dad this. And uh, Connie comes in and says, oh, is he awake? The little girl he saved wants to come down to thank him. And before he even says yes or anything, they're already wheeling her in. Like, they're just like, yeah, come on in. No, but the dad doesn't say yes. Mark doesn't say yes. The kid's asleep. Nobody says yes. But they're like, yeah, sure, come on in. But then Nancy, the girl he saved, you know, says, oh, I can't remember what his first name is. But she's like, thank you for getting me out. Thank you for getting me out. And excuse me while my heart breaks. Because the dude's like three quarters of the way passed out. He just barely nods when she's talking to him. But it's just like, it's a very sweet moment. And though they do it very well. They're learning from their past episodes not to have these things be too saccharine, too sugar-coated. Like, they just let it sit with you. They don't add any music. They don't do anything hokey. It's just they let the moment breathe. All right. And then after that, we go to the doctor's lounge. And Doug is just randomly bouncing a basketball. And we get have Benton come in. And we get a... This lovely clip. Afternoon to you, Dr. Benton. I don't want to talk about it. I didn't ask. You know, for the first time I've missed grand rounds, what the hell do I tell Morgan Stern? Yeah, it's something more important to do. Yeah, right. You know, pediatrics, you guys got it made. You all go into private practice. The surgeons, we all want to be chief. I have another day like this, I don't have a prayer. More important things in life than being chief. Yeah, right. Like what? This morning I had a little girl beat up her mom, and her mom is dead. Another kid with osteosarcoma, he's probably gonna lose his leg. Another one with cystic fibrosis. It is the middle of winter, my apartment is freezing, and the woman that I vaguely thought might stay with me said that I'm not the kind of guy that women marry. So I'm going to go shoot some hoops. Laying on truth. Doug is having a day. They both are, but I sympathize way more with Doug. For sure. <laughs> a lot of Benton's days of his own creation, so. Yeah, Benton's is just a pity party. Doug is legitimately having a day. And yeah, so after they t- after they have that little chat, uh, Doug makes his way out to the basketball court, which is occupied. Uh, what? I know someone else besides the the adults are actually using it, so it's a random kid wearing just the most choice Bulls starter jacket from the '90s. Like that thing is. Honestly, for a minute here, I thought this was Sam's kid, and I was like, "There's no way this is this fucking early." <laughs> no, I was like, "What the fuck?" I mean, it is a small, small, small blonde white, child. Yeah, small blonde white child. So who knows? They all look the same to me. <laughs> And can I just say, too, that, like, they start playing one-on-one. This game abides by none of the actual rules of basketball. Like, that kid double dribbles, like, three different times. Doug is traveling all over the place. Like, I I call bullshit (laughs) on this entire game. Start over. And also, too, they call out – so, like, this is the 90s. This is specifically the mid-90s. This is arguably the peak of Chicago Bulls, like – fandom like existence like relevance like you have all these yeah you have all these options of 
you know, famous classic, you know, players from that era that you could call out and name check here. And they chose BJ fucking Armstrong. (laughs) And I know that's kind of a sports nerd thing of just like, that's pretty much only going to matter to Lizzie and I, but like BJ Armstrong was, he was a nice enough player, but like he was not somebody that would ever be anyone's favorite player. I don't care how big of a Bulls fan you were. I challenge you to find me somebody whose favorite Bulls player in the nineties was BJ fucking Armstrong. I mean, you could do a lot worse. I guess. I mean, but who though? Like Bill Cartwright? I mean, like it's like, yeah, I guess. I don't. This uh, is a conversation for two people, by the way. Like, there's no <laughs> nobody exactly. else is gonna get this. But anyway, Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. Suck it. Uh, we from there. Uh, this little kid. Uh, his name is Jake. His mom. He'll say we find out he's not just some random kid that's just playing there punk yeah not some random punk hanging out in the court um (laughs) sorry i can't say that with a straight face his mom works up in risk management his mom's name is diane you know she she eventually makes her way down uh which i guess she already knows who doug is so that's probably (laughs) why she's not like freaked out that there's some random adult man playing basketball with her young son her progeny and yeah so they're just sort of making small talk and then Doug's kind of flirting with her, and he's and she says, you know, before you try any harder, Cindy so and so is a good friend of mine. And Doug's like, and Doug immediately knows he's he's caught. Yeah, he's caught. He's DOA. And he's like, oh right, how is she? And she says, well, she can't say your name without saying a few words I wouldn't want my son to hear. So, <laughs> so there goes that. Yeah, and then exchange some pleasantries and move on. Yep. And then we touch base with Susan. I think she's at admissions or something. And all of a sudden a new trauma comes in and it's a new chest pain. And Susan gets to redeem herself after everything she's learned from this case and thing. And all of a sudden (gasps) the chest pain patient is Kaysen. Dun, dun, dun. Like I mentioned before, time has no meaning with the show for me anymore. Because this happens now. I could have sworn it was like season two. I was just going to say the same thing. Four. Like if you if you made me like put money down on this, I would have said season three, and I would have said like shortly before Lewis leaves the first time. Like this should be much later than it is. I don't know what is happening with this timeline. Just like I didn't think Carrie got here until season five, and she'll be here next season. Yeah, she's here episode one of season two. I'm so excited. And this this whole situation here just goes to show, always be nice because you never know who may have to save your life. Don't be a dick. So Susan gets him into the trauma room. They get his shirt unbuttoned and everything, and she gives him aspirin. And she's like, okay, Dr. Kaysen, this is aspirin. Can you chew? Please start chewing this. Like, she's very matter-of-fact and, like, very caring with him with how she approaches it. Like, she immediately lets everything else drop, and she is just going step-by-step. She shows him what his reports are saying. She's like, do you want TPA? We're getting the angioplasty lab set up. We're getting the cath lab ready to go. Like, what do you want? Here's what things are showing. Here's here's how things are going. Um, she says, oh, he may need a pacemaker. But, you know, she's she's being real good with him. Like, keeping him calm, keeping herself calm, getting him stabilized. She has to intubate him, which she does, like, super smooth. One of the smoothest intubations we've seen on the show so far. No muss, no fuss, just bam. And then they get they get him stabilized, they wheel him over to the elevator, and of course when the elevator opens, it's full of fucking Elvis impersonators. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. 
Mark is amongst those personators and for whatever reason and you know he just he walks out of the elevator and Susan as Susan's wheeling him in it's like she's like get out of the way get out of the way and he's just pointing he just, I forget is he asking he's asking Susan yeah he's asking he, he points joke. to Gurney and and after he notices his case and and asks Susan is that a joke which I feel compelled to point out, he would not have to ask that if they weren't always doing shit like that. Like, if they weren't always doing the boy who cried wolf thing, he wouldn't have to ask that. That's just my own personal gripe with their, like, insistence on doing the, like, emergency thing for surprise parties. Well, and the other thing is, the fucking irony of him asking, is this a joke about Kaysen, is he's getting out of an elevator full of Elvis impersonators? <laughs> like, who has the more absurd situation here, really? Yeah, I don't know what... I. I comes that visual gag comes so far out of left field like i have no idea what i guess just to highlight the absurdity of the entire situation maybe i just don't i have no idea what happened there me neither and then we go back to doug talking to terry the homeless kid who got beat up and we find out that he has polycystic pneumonia and most likely aids and He's like, Doug alludes to the fact that, you know, if this kid's a prostitute and is like, you use condoms, you need to use condoms. And Terry says, they don't want you using rubbers. That's not what they're paying for. And Doug tries so hard to get him to stay for treatment of at least the pneumonia and some HIV drugs, if possible. And like, you know, you're not going to get better if you're out on the streets. You need to take some time to heal and Terry's like, if I'm not working, I'm not eating, and my friends aren't eating. Like, I have to be out there. So Doug at least gives him some bacitrin and condoms and some resources for um, HIV and AIDS clinics. And he's like, you need to at least take the medication every day. And he, Terry breaks my heart. He goes, the only time I took medicine every day was in jail. Like, there's no way for this kid to have a solid routine living out on the streets. It's just moment to moment, whatever he can do to get by. And then from that happy moment, we go right over to Susan and Kaysen up on the cardiology department floor, and we get this interaction. Your wife's on the way. Dr. Steinman's coming to take you to the cath lab. Not if that's what you want. Do you want TPA? Hi, Jack. You look great. We're going to blow your arteries out. Dr. Steinman, he wants TPA. Jack, I looked at your echo. You need angioplasty. Jack, you're scared. Remember, we did a couple hundred of these last year. And when this is over, you better stop smoking and start jogging. Let's move him. You can't do that. What? He's my patient. He doesn't want angioplasty. He wants TPA. Dr. Lewis, this man's under sedation. He's in no condition to make a decision. No. Stop this adolescent behavior and get the hell out of my way. If you take him out of here... I'll see you at a review committee, and they will fry your ass so fast you'll be lucky to keep your license. Please order the TPA. Get it in here right now. Queen. I love this bad bitch streak that she has in this episode. Mm. Well, and the other thing that absolutely just melts my, my bitter little heart is that after she does that, and after the other cardiologist walks out of the room... Kaysen just weakly reaches up to hold her hand, like, in a silent thank you. And it's just like, ugh. Like, wh how how have we come this far in one episode? Like Magic of TV! <laughs> like, was it not like this? Well, I guess it was technically two episodes ago was when we got the, like, crazy sweep shot over to Kaysen. But, I mean, 
think about that was the end of the last episode or end of two episodes ago. So to go from that to this in just an episode and a half, like unbelievable. But yeah, it's like Lauren said before, you never know who's going to save your life. So be kind to everyone, folks. And then we hard pivot into some hardcore sex noises from Carolyn Tag. <laughs> yeah, talk about a tonal shift. Jesus. Thank you for not getting this audio. No, of course not. It's, ugh. I will try my best not to capture sex noises. Or so. smoochy sounds. <laughs> Kissy noises are gross. Ugh. Stop this, it. It's awful. Prime time in, in 1995 was wild. I know, right? Like, Carol is going at it. But hey, good for her. Good for her. Do do your thing, girl. But like, not even like 30 seconds later. And I, I get, I'm watching this in full HD on a, you know, big screen television. This is not how it was viewed in 1995 when it was on TV. So I'm sure it wasn't as big of a concern for them. But there is full view tag ass. Like, oh yeah, I totally missed it. Oh yeah, it's it's not. It is not just a little bit of a crack. It is not just a flash. My man stands up and there is like moonlight flashing off his ass. Like it is. How did I miss this? There is a full moon in that bedroom. Like it is. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and go back and check that one out. Well, here's here's the other risque thing that happens. Here is uh, Carol's just like oh. Do you still have some of that edible massage oil left? And Tag's like, well, it gave you a rash last time. And Carol's like, ooh, we could try a different flavor. And then we find out that the bag that had all their kinky sex shit in it, he left it (laughs) under the admin desk earlier in the episode. And he's like, oh, God, I can never go back to work. So once again, going back a few episodes, in which we kind of got sidetracked in that one episode, talking about the much later, much uh, ballyhooed, subplot with jerry's obsession with bdsm i feel like this is the genesis of it tag leaves that bag underneath the admissions desk jerry finds it and it's like an an awakening for our large our special large boy like i still don't believe that that's jerry in that episode it is though it is though i refuse to believe that it 100 percent is though i wouldn't be surprised but I will wait to be convinced on that episode. It 100% is. And I feel like this headcanon, this is where it starts because he finds Tag's sex bag, (laughs) which is a weird thing to say out loud. And now that I wish, now that I said it, I wish I hadn't. Can't unsay it. After weird sex noises, we go into the final episode, the final scene of the episode. Doug is just sort of laying on, laying on the basketball court. And, you know, you have, it's a very beautifully framed shot his reflections in the puddle and he's just like laying his head on the basketball and who comes out to get him mark yeah mark, mark comes out to get him like i said it's always mark yeah except for that one time it was susan exactly yeah mark comes out to get him because he's got patience has something something called croup i have no idea what that is it's just a normal like baby thing that happens nothing serious super easy to treat yeah and doug just says gotta love the croup at least it's something i can fix and just just want to give doug a hug yeah, Doug's not an asshole in this episode. I know. He's actually being a good doctor and a caring human being and not fucking with Carol's shit. Yeah, he leaves Carol alone this whole episode. It's great. I like this one. It's a good one. I like this one a lot, too. It's a very, very solid episode. I feel like, I was mentioning this earlier to Lauren and Daniel in our group chat that we have, I feel like most of the episodes, like now, I feel like the show is like truly hitting its stride. Hit has hit its stride, 
And I feel like most of the episodes from here on out are going to be at least pretty good. Yeah, I think you'll struggle to find an episode that is below... Uh, at least I would say a C plus. Like I feel like your worst yeah. episode we're ever we're gonna find at least until we get rid of the original cast is probably gonna be a C plus. Like and this this I would put it like a solid B B plus episode. Yeah, I'd say B plus. I'd say B plus as well. All right, well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening as always. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Set the Tone ER. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast. And we are at Sighting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sighting the Tone Podcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode and a monthly bonus show where we talk about whatever's going on for us, you know, sort of at the moment, what movies we've seen, what video games we're playing, our thoughts on current events, different stuff like that. And we are also uh, going to be trying to record, uh, as we alluded to earlier, movie commentaries uh, where we... The three of us sit down and watch a movie together featuring, possibly directed by, uh, <laughs> one of our oh, our favorite ER alums. So be on the lookout for those. Those are a bit higher of a Patreon tier right now. And uh, based on where we are, we might try to find an alternate way to get that, get that to you folks before we hit that Patreon tier. So be on the lookout for that. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. Uh, they can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we take a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. Not sure exactly where we'll be in our release schedule by the time you hear this, but um, a more recent episode by then will be... Uh, athletes who sing uh we're gonna do one of our music Ooh. episodes on when athletes take a stab at music and spoiler it's not very good the the music not, not the, the episode i'm hoping the episode is very good but the music in the episode is quite terrible that does sound quite god-awful so it's almost worse than i imagined it would be all right and lauren where can folks find you at folks can find me on my personal twitter at lobob92345 Lots of baby Yoda memes right now, folks. Come get them while they're hot. And you can find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer, uh, G-A-M-3-R. Uh, thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for episode 15, and have a great and beautiful week. Bye.